You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we'll be in the verses that Mika just read so beautifully for us. As you're turning there, uh, happy, uh, what is this, uh, 4th of July weekend? And I uh, hope you have great plans for that. If you are new here, welcome. My name's Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're thrilled that you chose to worship with us uh, on this weekend. If you are watching online, maybe you're doing that for the first time, or maybe you've been doing that for a long time, welcome. Uh, this summer, we are taking a break from our wisdom series that we'll pick back up in probably August sometime. Uh, but over the summer, we're looking at our church's statement of faith. And these are really considering the core doctrines that, uh, that define uh, Orthodox Christianity, so not just our church, but, but, but many uh, churches, we are not saying all there is to say about any one of them. They could each be their own uh, sermon series, but what we are saying is true uh, and good and right and worth considering. And so we started a couple of weeks ago with God, and then we did Revelation. Last week was creation, and now we are looking at what the Bible teaches about humanity So it's incredibly relevant. I think every Sunday is relevant, but it's especially relevant because we're talking about humanity and you are a human and you spend a lot of your life around other humans. You spend all of your life as a human. And so this morning uh, we're talking about us. We're talking about you and me and what it means to be a human and uh, how God uh, intended humans to function and uh, what it looks like uh, to be conformed into the image of Jesus, who's the most true human Uh, who's ever lived. I want to set us up in a particular way, though, as we walk through this. Our family went to Broken Bow uh, a few months ago. Broken Bow is uh, in eastern Oklahoma, and we had some friends that have gone a few times and really love it, and they came back and they said, hey, it's incredible. It's just like Colorado. You have to go. (laughs) So we went, and it's not. It's, uh, it's, It's great. It's not just like Colorado. It's just better than what you think of when you think of Oklahoma. And so, um, but it was beautiful. We had, that's not a shot. It's just, we had a great time. We really did. We had a ton of fun. And one of the things that we did while we were there was we went on a three hour hike as a family, which was about an hour too long for most of my family. But one of the things that happened that I've thought of a lot that was really special, uh, unprompted, uh, as we were hiking, our kids would make us stop uh, anytime they saw something that was really special or they'd make a stop and, uh, and look at something that they thought was especially beautiful or especially meaningful. So uh, as we're hiking, they'd see something and we'd pause and we'd spend more time on something that was kind of worth taking in. So my daughter stopped us at one point because there was this bluebird taking a bath in the creek and she just thought it was wonderful and it was wonderful. So we, we stopped and we kind of took that in and my son stopped us at one point because he thought the way that the sun was coming through the trees on the hike was really cool and we stopped because it was worth kind of taking some time to, to take that in. Uh, we stopped a ton just because it was quiet and there's a few times we stopped and just let it be quiet because a lot of our life is not quiet and so it was really special to to be in the quiet. Uh, for my youngest, we stopped a lot because she wanted more animal crackers, which was, those are important too. So, uh, but that was our pace. That's kind of how we went through the hike as we would, we would walk the trail. All of it was beautiful, but we stopped to make time for things that were especially worth taking time uh, to take in. And that's what I want to do this morning as we consider what the Bible teaches about what it means to be human. 
as we go to several places in the Bible and, and we consider the image of God, really, if you have any experience with the Bible at all, if you have any history knowing what the Bible teaches about people, you know that the, the, the unique feature of what the Bible teaches is that humans are made in God's image. And so that's what we'll spend all of our time considering. But I want to, as we consider that, especially stop around the parts that maybe just for the moment that we're in right now are just worth taking time to take in so that we don't miss the beauty, we don't miss uh, what the Bible uniquely says is special about what it means to be human and what it means to be made in the image of God and the unique opportunity we have as followers of Jesus to be most truly human as we follow him. And I'm, I'm aware of how uh, broken we are as humans. I'm aware that we're, we're sinful. Uh, next week, we'll spend all Sunday on the doctrine of sin. Ty will teach us what the Bible teaches about our fallen nature, and I'm sure everyone will come back for that. Um, but when I say I want to stop around the parts that are worth taking time to take in, I, I mean just leaning into what I believe with all my heart is the fact that the Bible tells a truer, better story about what it means to be human and what that should mean for us in our lives. Uh, in a world that forces us to pause and take in everything that's wrong with humanity which is always happening because there's constant headlines and constant public fighting and constant dehumanizing public discourse. It's good and right to go to God's word and say, hey, see, see what's beautiful about the way God made humanity, about his intention, and let's take time to take in that all humans have dignity. Uh, also, with hearts like mine and maybe like yours that, that are often pausing to consider what's wrong with me, or maybe you're pausing to consider what's wrong with you, and, and maybe to the point where some of us are disgusted with ourselves, Maybe even some of us would say that we, we don't like being us. We feel condemned and we feel unlovable. It's good and right in that kind of room to go to God's word and say, hey, see what's beautiful. See, friend, what God is making us in Jesus, what God is doing in us, what he's redeeming and restoring in us. And let's take in how he makes us most truly human. So here's my outline for this morning. Here's how we'll do that. We want to look at the image of God in Genesis and then we'll look at the image of God in Jesus. But as we're walking through that along the way, We'll pause a couple times just to make space for the beauty that we can't miss. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. It's a poem, actually. It's the first poem in the Bible. It sounds more poetic in Hebrew, but it's a poem still. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. These verses are towards the end of the creation account. So there's a lot that's already happened in chapter 1 of Genesis before this happens. God's spirit hovers over the chaos and the darkness, and out of nothing, God brings everything. Life and beauty and planets and stars and animals and plants and all of these wonderful, magnificent things. But here's what's true. None of those things, as wonderful and magnificent as they are, None of them are the crowning achievement of God's creation. Of all God makes, humans alone are the crowning achievement. Humans are God's favorite creation. Think about that. Imagine you had been there with God as he's, as he's creating and as he fills the heavens with stars and planets and you look at all that God made, all that's cosmic and heavenly and you look at that and you ask God a question. Is this your favorite thing that you've made? He'd say, no, just wait. And then he separates the ocean and he brings forth earth and sea and mountains and it's beautiful. And you look at it and you say, God, is this your favorite thing that you've made? And he said, no, that's coming, just wait. 
He makes plants and trees and forests and fields and flowers, and he fills the world with color, and you think, okay, this has to be it. God, is this your favorite thing? And he says, no, just wait. Then he makes all these animals and fish, and you watch God in all of his creativity, and you see all of these animals coming to life, and you think, God, I wouldn't have made the snakes, but I'm not you. That's up to you. And so you sit in awe of all these different life forms. It's a fantastic expression of God's imagination and creativity and brilliance. And you say, okay, this has to be it, God. This is your favorite, right? And he says, no, watch this. Let us make mankind in our own image. And he forms male and female, and he makes them body and soul and fills them with imagination and reason and gifts and emotions and will and places them in the garden with humanity as the exclamation point of creation. And he sits back and he says, very good. It's very good. Humans are the most special of all that God creates. They have a unique relationship to God and a unique standing in creation. And that's tied up in the phrase that we see repeated over and again, image of God. My daughter likes to ask a question. She asks me this question often. She says, Dad, if you had to choose between saving me or Rowdy, who would you save? <laughs> Rowdy is our dog. He's a golden doodle. He's great. Most of our family loves him. And uh, she'll say, Dad, if you had to choose between me or the dog, who would you save? And my answer is always both, because I, I have an inflated view of myself. I just think I'd be able to just save everybody. But she says, no, Dad, you have to choose. And I said, well, I would save you, daughter. And she says, why? And I said, because you're my daughter and because you're made in God's image and Rowdy is not. And then she gets offended and she'll start arguing with me because she thinks humans and dogs are made in God's image. That's her truth and it's heresy. We, we, we get that from this passage, that humans are the most special, uniquely special to God of all that he creates. They have a unique relationship to God and a unique standing in creation and it's tied up in and captured in this phrase, the image of God. The image of God speaks to two things. This is very important, church. The image of God uh, speaks to human value and human vocation. They're interconnected. We need to spend some time on each one. Uh, with human value, all humans, because they are made in the image of God, they have dignity. They have intrinsic, irrevocable worth as people simply because they are people, because all people are made in God's image. The phrase image of God was a common in the ancient Near East. It wasn't just a phrase that people who believed in the God of the Old Testament used. It was a phrase that was common amongst all different people groups and all different kinds of religions. And we can understand the significance of what it means when we see it in the Bible by understanding what it meant to other cultures. Like if you had walked up to somebody uh, who was a part of a different people group, a different, maybe they worshiped the sun God and they were like a neighboring culture to the Israelites. And if you were to ask them, hey, do you believe in the image of God? And they would say, yes. And you say, okay, can you take me to the image of God? Can you show me the image of God? They would have taken you to one of two places. They would have taken you to an idol, to a statue of some God, the sun God or something like that. Or they would have taken you to the king, whoever ruled over the country. Because for most other cultures around the time Genesis was written, the image of God only was said about idols and kings. Uh, idol and image are the same word in Hebrew. So the idol represented worship of the God. The king represented the rule of the God. And so what that meant was idols were really sacred and kings were really sacred because however you treated the thing that represented the God was indicative of what you felt about the God. So they commanded respect. They commanded value. What about everybody else? 
Well, everybody else was less than. It created a value disparity where idols and kings were sacred and valuable and everyone else was less than. Everyone else in some way was dispensable. And so that was the view of humanity that surrounded the people of God when Genesis is written. And what the Bible tells is an incredibly different story about humanity than that. God does not create some special people to be in his image than a bunch of less valuable people. God creates and places his image on every single human, every man and every woman. You remember God says the people of God are not to make idols, they're not to make statues. Why? Because God has already made his image in every single man and every single woman. So follow me, with that backdrop in mind, I just think it's so beautiful. Instead of making sacred statues to represent God, he makes sacred people to represent him. Instead of creating a king to rule over people, he creates people as kings and queens to rule over creation. That's how humanity begins. Okay, here's a good place to stop walking and see something beautiful, just to take time to take something in, in light of what we've just learned. People matter. People matter. To be made in the image of God is to have intrinsic dignity and value and worth. People matter. Those who bear the image of God matter and all people bear the image of God. And so all people matter. You see this argument in the Bible even after sin enters the world. You see in both the Old and the New Testament. In Genesis 9, 6 it says this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood will be shed. For God made man in his own image. It's an intense verse. It stresses a point, though. God takes seriously the sacredness of humanity, and he takes seriously anyone who treats his image flippantly or violently. Don't shed blood. Why? Because people matter. They're made in God's image. James, in the New Testament, he's talking about the tongue. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, our words can be reckless, and here's how we can use our mouths. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the image of God. Don't curse people. Don't slander. Why? Because people matter. They're made in God's image. And if all are made in God's image, it means that no one, hear this, no one matters more than anyone else. No one has earned image-bearing dignity in a way that makes them more valuable than anyone. It's given. There's a grace-first pattern, not just in salvation. We're obviously saved by grace alone through faith alone, but there's a grace-first pattern even in creation. God does not create and say, become my image bearer. Like, um, you know, do a good job with the garden, raise some kids, make something cool, and then I'll place my image on you. No, dignity precedes activity in the creation story. Value is intrinsic. It's inherent to what it means to be human. That's true for all humans. It's what Dr. Seuss says. A person's a person no matter how small. A person's a person no matter how rich, no matter how poor, no matter how strong, no matter how weak, no matter how gifted or not. If Dr. Seuss isn't a credible voice for you, hear it from C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. He says this, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, meaning they pass away. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with who we work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You've never talked to a mere mortal, meaning everyone's sacred. You've never been around a mere mortal in a grocery store. You don't work with mere mortals. You're not married to a mere mortal. You're not raising mere mortals. Everyone has value and intrinsic dignity made in the image of God. And we need so desperately 
to hold on and to stand on this truth. The climate around us says this, you have dignity and value if you are human and. And then you fill in the blank, I fill in the blank with something that means you're like me. And so you matter if you are human and useful, human and productive, human and you can help me achieve my goals, human and Democrat, human and Republican, human and rich, human and famous, human and you've never offended me, human and you look like me, you're white like me, you're black like me, you're Asian like me, human and you are moral like me, you're human and you're religious like me, human and you affirm me. And if you are not human, and whatever I find valuable, then you mean less. And the more differences I see between me and you, the more love I withhold from you, because when I look at you, I can't find my image. And in that climate, God says something true and beautiful about humanity. Even when, God says, even when you can't see your image, I can still see mine. God says people matter. Treat them with dignity. And as Christians, we have a sacred responsibility to contend for that dignity in others, especially when nobody else will. Like that beautiful truth, friends, has deployed Christians to the front lines of fights for justice and compassion for all people. The whole idea of civil rights and equality has its ideological home in the Judeo-Christian belief that people are made in God's image and people matter. That's why Christians righteously and courageously fight for there to be no discrepancies or injustice based on skin color. It's why Christians are in the fight for a whole life ethic that defends and contends for dignity for people, especially those who are vulnerable. Like, uh, the last few days, I've had a few kinds of conversations with people in our church about the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe. And some of those conversations are predominantly gratitude for good, gratitude for, for just laws. Babies in wombs bear the image of God. They're people worth protecting. Others of those conversations are around concern for women, a sober concern over the needs that will come and an eagerness to show care and compassion to women who are pregnant and lost or pregnant and hopeless or, or pregnant and are just looking for someone to choose them, to help them. And you know what both responses are? The response of gratitude for life protected and the sober concern for life that's vulnerable, you know what those responses are? They're image of God responses. Both of them are, are and, and what we are told or maybe what we feel like forced to do in the climate around us is that we have to pit vulnerable people against vulnerable people and choose which one matters more. We don't have to do that. We can stand on the truth that all people are made in God's image and ask for wisdom as we step into waters that are incredibly complex and complicated. But what we're standing on is a Genesis old truth that every single person has dignity and value simply because they're a person. You know what else that means? And maybe you need to hear this more than any of that. Uh, it means you matter. You matter, my friend. You're made in God's image. And the lie that it would be really easy to believe in your heart right now is that you have to prove your worth by doing something spectacular. You have to prove your worth by stop doing something that you're ashamed of or embarrassed of. Dignity precedes activity. When God sees you, he sees his image. You have God-given worth simply because you're human, made in the image of God. Made in the image of God means humans have dignity. Look at verse 28. It also means something else very important. 
And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, There's a handful of words that are repeated in these verses. We hear them in 26. We hear them again in 28. Words like have dominion. God blesses them in 28, commissions them to be fruitful, to subdue, to take dominion. Chapter 2, verse 15, repeats a similar idea. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Being made in the image of God does not just describe human value. It also describes human vocation, human function, like what we are put on this earth to do. Now, the words that we hear are not words that we use, right? Like subdue or take dominion. Those aren't part of our normal conversation. Like if you ask someone today, hey, what are your plans later? And they say, oh, I'm going to go take dominion. You'd think, oh, you should probably take a nap instead, right? It's like, (laughs) it's weird. It sounds controlling. But these words describe the very heart of what it means to be human, what humans were created for. The human vocation is God-given representative responsibility. Let me explain that. God takes Adam and Eve and he places them in a garden to steward the garden, to steward creation in a way that represents God. The Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And that matters for what it means to be human. It matters that the story starts that way. Like God does not create humans and the story doesn't say that he makes them as conquering warriors. Here's something. He does not create Adam and Eve and then place them in a city filled with people to conquer. He creates them and he places them in a garden filled with potential to cultivate. Humans have strength and creativity and imagination all in the likeness of God. And God places them in a garden and says, you're responsible for this. Use your strength. Use your creativity. Use your imagination and bring more and more life out of this place. And when you bring more and more life out of this place, when you have children, when you raise crops, when you make music, what you're doing is you are representing me. My creativity and my character is reflected in your work when you do that. So create and cultivate. That's your responsibility. There's a theology professor named Craig Bartholomew. With a last name like that, he had to become a theology professor. And he explains verse 28 in this way in one of his books. He says, we are God's royal stewards put here to develop, I love this, put here to develop the hidden potentials in God's creation so that the whole of it may celebrate his glory. In studying this, I thought of something that my dad used to say as I was growing up as a kid, bless you. It's not original to him, um, but I I first heard it from him. And and the phrase is this, leave it better than you found it. Anyone have a dad that said something like that? Are any of you a dad who says something like that? You thought you never would be? Okay. Um, If we were guests somewhere, we would clean up before we left. Dad, why do we have to clean up? We want to leave it better than we found it. We borrowed a car once because our car had broken down and one of our church members uh, let us borrow one. And before we returned it, we cleaned it like bumper to bumper. We detailed the whole thing. And I remember going into the house and saying, Dad, I'm done. And he comes out and he looks at it and he's like, you're definitely not done. And so I had to spend more time working. And I'm like, Dad, why do we have to do this? And he says, well, you know, we want to give it back better than we found it. And I really, really hated that as a kid because it usually meant I had to do something I didn't want to do. But that came to mind as I was studying this this week. Something in that helps me understand what it means to be human, how God designed humanity, created, respons- created humanity with responsibility, steward God's creation in a way that represents him. Leave it better than you found it. Like, give it back better than you got it. Use your time and energy and gifts and strength 
to care for something in such a way that it's better as a result of your care. And that's what God does. He places Adam and Eve in the garden. And while it's good, it is filled with untapped potential for life and for beauty. And God sets them there and says, in a way, leave it better than you found it. Cultivate the potential. And in doing that, they represent God. They represent him as creator. Um, That's what having children is. That's what growing plants is. That's what uh, making food is. That's what making art is. It's joining God in an act of co-creating, creating like God because he's placed creativity in us. Also, they represent God's character. Uh, God makes the world, and does he make a good world or a bad world? He makes a good world. And he makes a good world because he's a good God. The goodness of the world is a reflection of his character. And so he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, says, cultivate this, leave it better than you found it. And part of the way that they do that is by reflecting not just God's creativity, but God's character, by doing good in the world. Like, it would, not have, it would have been a failure to image God if they exploited creation. It would have been a failure to image God if they oppressed or took advantage of one another. That doesn't reflect God's character. It's a failure to image God. No, do good. We're God's royal stewards put here to develop the hidden potentials in God's creation so that the whole of it may more fully celebrate God's glory. Let's pause again. Take something in. That's worth our time. God has given you gifts. He's given you talents. Remember in Ecclesiastes, God's put you in a place. He's given you a lot. It's where you are. It's the people that are around you. Be present where you are and do good. Uh, God has placed you wherever you are given you responsibility that he's given you, that you would leave things better than you find them. Relationships, that you would do good in your job. Like being the image of God, and obviously this has been marred and distorted by sin, we'll get there, but being made in the image of God, it means representing God by creating and caring for things like God. This is something I really want my kids to know as I watch them grow and see that God's wired them differently and he's gifted them differently. And as I just think and dream about what God will do with the talents that he's given them, the creativity that he's given them, I just, I just want them to catch a vision for imaging God in a vocational way. So I bought a book that Tim Keller uh, recommended. Um, not like He recommended it online. He didn't recommend it to me. We're not friends like that yet. So, um, But it's called The Creator in You. And I, I bought it. Uh, to read it with my kids. It's a kid's book on human vocation. And it came in and I asked my kids if they wanted to read it with me and they said no. So uh, I'm going to read it to you. It says this halfway through the book, before his day off, God had one more to do. On his sixth day of creating, God chose to make you. And now you might think that our story is ending, but in fact, this is just the beginning. God made you to look like him, to act and work and create with him. Because while in six days God created a lot, there are so many things that he simply did not, like bridges and baseballs, sandcastles and s'mores. God asked us to create and fill the planet with more. So grab a blank sheet of paper and create with your hands, or draw up some plans for a lemonade stand. Roll up your sleeves and build epic tree forts, and someday build cities and towers and ports. With your very own brush, paint your own starry night, or engineer a space shuttle and blast off into flight. With just a few words, write a book or a song that sparks inspiration or a great sing-along. Create new businesses, movies, medicine, and hope. Make laws or computers or a new telescope. Because when you work or you make something new, you are doing what God has made you to do. 
You are showing the world what your father is like, a God who creates to bring people to light. And when you show others the creator in you, you bring joy to the world and to your father too. Friends, being human means that you have been given ability and with that ability, a responsibility to reflect God right where God's placed you. Some of you are working to create business. Some of you are spending all of your time and energy and creativity raising children. Some of you are starting a new job. Some of you are creating things. Some of you take pictures for a living. Some of you make music. Uh, Some of you are educators. Some of you are kind of in this transition place where you're not really sure what God wants you to do, but you want to be faithful with what he's given you. And what you need to hear is all of that is part of your image bearing. It's an important thing. And when you create when you care like God and when you show his character, it's one of the most sacred human things you do. It matters. So work hard and create and care for your family and do all that you do for God's glory. And when you do that, you're doing what you were made to do, reflecting God. The image of God in Genesis, humans have value and vocation. The image of God in Genesis, humans have dignity and they have a representative responsibility to reflect God. Now, here's what would happen, friends. If we stopped here, I would have failed you miserably as your pastor and as an expositor of God's word. Because here's what we know. We know that things went terribly wrong after Genesis 2. Instead of imaging God, Adam and Eve imaged the serpent. Instead of being content to be dignified humans representing God in the likeness of God, they believed the lie that they could be God, and believing that made them less human. It's important to make something explicit just because I don't want to be misunderstood in what I've said. Humans are the crowning achievement of God's creation, but people are not the point of God's creation. God is the point of his creation. We exist to enjoy God and to reflect God, and when sin enters the world, it distorts all of that. All sin in some way is a failure to be truly human. All sin in some way um, distorts human dignity. All sin in some way, it diminishes image-bearing responsibility to reflect God. And so we know this. People don't treat other people with dignity, and people don't leave things better than we found them. And some of us hate people, and some of us are disgusted with ourselves, and some of us have a, a really distorted view of God, and all of us fail in ways to represent God and his character and his goodness. And so if all we do this morning is see the image of God in Genesis, then all this has been has been like a do-better, try-harder, inspirational God talk. It would have been describing a destination that none of us have the resources to actually get to What we need is we need grace. We need good news about the image of God that covers our failures to image God. We need help becoming what we were meant to become, and that's where Jesus comes in, always. The good news of Jesus, who is the image of God, and we see throughout the New Testament where Jesus is described as the image of God, and we see what that means for us. We'll consider several passages quickly. They're so important. Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. These verses say something really important about Jesus' deity. He's fully God. But they also say something about Jesus' humanity. As someone who's fully human, Jesus is the perfect image bearer. Jesus is the most truly human person to ever live because he perfectly images God in the way that all humans were meant to, but all humans have failed to. If you just think about his life, the dignity that he walks in and confers on others, he's not partial. There's no ordinary people. He welcomes children. He stops to find a woman who pulls his coat in a crowd because he wants to honor her faith and see her and hear her. He leaves people 
and places and the world better than he found them. He perfectly represents God. He's the image of God and as God and as the most true human. And here's the good news. As the perfect human, look right at me, friends. Jesus makes a way for your humanity to be restored. Yours. Philippians 2.8 says, being found in human form, he humbled himself but become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Isaiah 52 says about him, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. He's obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, one of the most dehumanizing ways to die. He did not even look human. He didn't look like a person, Isaiah says. On the cross, Jesus, as the complete image bearer, is broken. On the cross, Jesus as the most true human is dehumanized. Why? 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Romans 8.29 For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Colossians 3, 9 and 10, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Did you hear it? Transformed into the image, conformed into the image of the Son, renewed in knowledge after God's image. Jesus, as the complete image bearer, is broken so that broken images like me and you could be made whole. Jesus, the most true human, is dehumanized so that we could be more truly human in him. That's what the image of God in Jesus tells us about what it means to be a human. He's not just the picture of the perfect human that we could never be, but salvation in him and submitting to him and relationship with him is the way we become who we were always meant to be. The way God puts our image bearing back together makes us whole. The way God restores our humanity. We'll pause one last time just to take this in. It's really beautiful. It's worth taking time to take in. If it's true that we're made in God's image, it means that you as a human, by nature, reflect. All of us. No one's original. Everyone's reflecting something. We're made that way. And I think most people want to be better humans. That's why this self-help section in bookstores are always full. That's why New Year's resolutions are a thing. That's why some of the most downloaded podcasts right now are about bettering yourself. Most people want to be better humans. Most people want to improve and be better than, than who they are. I'm sure there is some sort of desire like that in you, which is why you're here. But here's what we often do. We are images, and we can't help but reflect. And, and so the way we try to change is by being a reflection of who we wish we were. So we conceive of an image of ourselves, a version of us that is better than the one that actually exists, godlier, healthier, patient, funnier, more attractive, more friends, better marriage. And then we try to be in the present some reflection of who we hope we are in the future. And so we're imaging an image of us that doesn't exist. And here's the problem. It doesn't actually change anybody. It doesn't bring wholeness when we image a future image of us, it only brings shame and guilt and hiding in comparison to others. It doesn't make us more human. It makes us more insecure and more afraid because we try to image an image that doesn't exist. And that image that we try to reflect can't offer grace or patience 
or honesty or love. It can only over and again hold up to you what you're not. Here's the beauty, Christian. When we set our eyes on Jesus, when the image we try to image is the image of the invisible God, the one who was broken for us that we might be put back together, the one who was dehumanized so that we could be truly human, the one who brings the future into the present with his resurrection, the one who chose us that we might conform to his image, that he might be the firstborn among many sisters and brothers. You know what we have? An image that can actually change us because Jesus already loves us. We cannot, you cannot have a relationship with who you wish you were. But you can have a relationship, and you do have a relationship with Jesus. And in Jesus, you have the double dignity, not just the dignity of being human, but the dignity of being loved and forgiven, not just part of creation, but part of new creation. He covers all of our failures to be human in the way that we were meant to be, and then he invites us to image him, to become like him, not to become who we wish we were. Better than that, to be changed by Jesus, the perfect image of God who loves us just as we are. And it's from that love that we actually are made whole by reflecting him. What we most need as humans is Jesus. And what it means to be most human is to become like Jesus. It's all about him. It's all through him. Christian, you are loved. You both bear the image of God and you are hidden in the perfect image of God, Jesus the Christ. Live out of that love. Reflect your savior. It is the most human thing you can do. God, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Oh, so much left unsaid, God. So much that could have been said clearer, God. So would you, Holy Spirit, be gracious to apply your perfect truths imperfectly communicated. Lord, the one who is just front of mind, at least in my pastor's heart now, is the one in the room who is looking and searching and just can't find their worth anywhere, God. Disgusted with themselves, feeling condemned, God. And I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would whisper through their ears down to their heart and remind them that the moment that they were conceived, they are a precious, image-bearing, valuable human, treasured by you, God. And, and Lord, beyond that, that you, for my brothers and sisters, would just, Holy Spirit, whisper in their ear down into their heart that they are a loved and forgiven and redeemed and blood-brought sibling of Jesus who calls and invites all of us to be conformed into his image. So we need you. We love you. I thank you that your word has not left us in the dark about who we are and who we're meant to be. And I thank you that you have made a way for us to become who you perfectly and wisely designed us to be. Help us. Give us grace, God. And help us, Lord, to be patient with the process that we would 
fix our eyes on you, that we would image you, Jesus. And even though change doesn't come as fast as we wish, that we would trust you with our obedience and we would surrender the outcome to you and just continue following you. We love you and we thank you. Amen.